This episode of the Austin Spotlight is an interview with Daniel Taransky, founder and chief creative at Nomadic Beer Works. We discuss his love of beer, working with family, and the biggest challenges he's faced as an entrepreneur. I hope you enjoy the episode and would love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast. And joined today by my guest, Daniel Taransky. Uh, one of the co-founders of uh, Nomadic Beer Works down in South Austin. So appreciate you joining to me today, Daniel. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Awesome. So um, tell us just a little bit. I know Nomadic, you guys have had the Beer Works down there for a little while now, but mm-hmm. like, how, like how long have you guys had the location down there in South Austin? Yeah. Um, so we had this location. We opened in May of 19. Um, so it's been just over two years, two and a half years that we've been running this. Um, and, uh, it's, it's been a whole lot of fun, a whole lot of challenge, uh, being, you know, a brand new business starting in the kind of time that we are (laughs) in. Um, but you know, we've always kept kind of a positive outlook on it and we sure as heck have a passion for making beer. And so, uh, it makes the work easy to do. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's been great. You know, we basically moved into this old uh warehouse that was a crossfit gym before we got it uh and with about 10 months of hard work uh we were able to turn it into our you know our tap room and our production facility um and uh it just turned out great we're loving it so far awesome so uh kind of going back even obviously a little bit further than that since that's only yeah. a couple of years ago um kind of tell us a little bit about you you personally kind of your origin story i know for most Austinites, they're not necessarily native. Um, like for myself, I've been here 16 years and I find that that tends to be one of the more, more senior, senior Austinites, a lot Definitely. of places that I go. So kind of tell me a little bit about, um, about your journey to, to get to Austin. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually a, a Michigander, so I'm a northerner. Um, I was nice. born in Metro Detroit area, a little okay. suburb outside of Detroit. So I don't, uh, know, I don't know if you can see any of this stuff back here at all, but uh, also got, originally from Michigan. So we got Go Blue, you know, all the Google oh, nice. stuff. And so, nice. Yeah. What part uh, of Michigan? Uh, kind of central, a small town called Owasso, just uh, about 20 miles uh, west of Flint. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. So you're definitely going to get a few of the references then. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, I spent a good amount of my formative years living in Michigan. Um, and then I ended up moving out to San Diego as a child, uh, maybe like 13, 14 years old and uh, lived in San Diego for a few years. Uh, and then when it came time for me to go to school, I, uh, I went back to Michigan, went to Western Michigan university. So I'm a Bronco, uh, there in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And, uh, I worked there for, a little bit after college, I actually got my professional start working for General Motors in Detroit. I took a job with them out of college doing some procurement and supply chain management stuff. Uh, but I always loved beer. You know, beer was always the passion. Uh, it's funny. My brother and I started this business together and uh, we we talked about starting a brewery right after high school. You know, he had taken up home brewing basically because A, we liked beer, and B, uh, you don't have to be 21 to buy ingredients for beer. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I think go. it's making it out of necessity at that point. Um, but him and I loved it. And uh, I remember like a specific time where we were young and we were we loved to travel. And so we were in Colorado, I think, hiking at one point. And we just had this big conversation about how great it would be to start a brewery. Uh, you know, he was studying general business. I was studying marketing. And I was like, man, if you can make that beer, I can sell the beer. We can start a brewery. It'll be awesome. And uh, that was the start of it. That was like 29, I guess, 2009. So fast forward 
about 10 years from that point. And, uh, you know, we have, we had our own brewery. Um, but it was like kind of just a natural progression. You know, I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so after working for a large fortune 500, like general motors, I realized the bureaucracy was killing my creativity. (laughs) I needed something smaller. I wanted to be my own boss. Um, and so I jumped to a small tech firm, uh, that, that launched satellites and I was doing some work for them, supply chain management, where aftermarket warehousing stuff. So still pretty relevant kind of production space, uh, training, if you will. And at the same time, my brother had graduated from San Francisco State and was progressing as a brewer. So he had worked at a series of large breweries in San Francisco. Uh, He got started at 21st Amendment, which a lot of Californians are probably familiar with. They actually just got distribution into uh, Texas. You can find them at HEBs now. Um, And then he worked for a slightly smaller brewery that was more of an upstart and kind of learned the upstart process. And so uh, we got to a point you know, probably 2017. And we were talking about, you know, our jobs and how we wanted to do a business and we wanted to be entrepreneurs. And then all of a sudden that kind of came together that we're like, well, I guess we could start that brewery. We always wanted to start. I think we're ready. Uh, And so we started working on a business plan, living in different cities. And then we eventually converged on Austin and and got Nomadic Beer Works started. So you were just kind of biding your time in the corporate world, but he figured out, all the, you know, how to make a, a beer that would actually sell instead of just a beer that uh, college or high school kids would drink because they could get their hands <laughs> on it kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah, he, he needed to learn learn all that stuff and make sure he could make good beers in large batches. Um, and yeah, I just, it was funny is I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I loved craft beer, but like if I wasn't doing beer, I would have no other skill set to anchor my business <laughs> knowledge to. I was like, I don't want to start a, like a consulting firm. That sounds boring. And I was like, I think though uh, a brewery would just be the perfect marrying of these passions and some shared interests that my brother and I have. Uh, and we're like best friends. We were a year and a half apart. Uh, we backpacked Europe together after college. We did all these travels in our mom's minivan that just funny enough is our delivery van currently we bought it from our mom and it delivers kegs right now uh so it's kind of a full circle thing but uh it was just kind of this perfect passion uh convergence where we love business uh and being our own bosses and being able to be creative we sure as heck love craft beer um and the third is we love to travel and that's why our brewery bears the name nomadic um the idea is to travel and seek out the best that the world has to offer whether it's food experiences, beer experiences, or overall cultures, uh, get inspired by them and use them to influence the beers that we brew. And so like a lot of our beers actually bear names, recipes, ingredients that come from specific regions. Uh, One that you might find interesting as a Michigander is uh, we actually have a beer called Tequamanon. Uh, It's named after Tequamanon Falls up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And it's a copper ale. And the reason that we call it uh, a co- or we brewed a copper ale was because we hiked the Tequamanon Falls in the Upper Peninsula as kids. And um, the river is characterized by this dirty brown copper color. And you first would think that it was polluted, but it's actually the result of uh, an ancient cedar and pine forest that's decaying underneath the riverbed. And it leaches these natural red tannins into the soil. And so when we brewed our copper, we just remembered that moment, that Red River, and we're like, oh, it's such a cool thing. 
Uh, so we named the beer Tequamanon, and now we get to hear people horribly mispronounce it almost every time they order it. <laughs> I would imagine, yeah. I get a lot of Tequamanon, but when I get Tequamanon, I'm like, where in Michigan are you from? Yes, and exactly. Like 10 out of 10 times, they're from Michigan because no one else sure. gets it. Sure. I, I I don't know that I would have said it correctly uh, yeah. either, but yeah, I say it's, it's almost at that point, it's like a secret code word for like, hey, I know you're uh where you're from that way okay i'm a local More yeah like we just slide a beer across the the bar top this one's on us you know? yeah <laughs> did your work in supply chain has that come in useful in in what you guys are doing now i would i would yeah. imagine obviously there's some of that that has to happen anyway and then add on top of that the challenges that we've had over the last you know 18 months 24 months in yeah. supply chain of everything it seems like that that would be have been a, a nice knowledge graph to be be able to pull from a hundred percent you know um one of the early things say during the pandemic that started to occur was uh i noticed uh supply chain interruptions with aluminum can suppliers um because all of you think about all the bars and restaurants in the entire united states which used to sell 90 percent of their volume pint by pint out the you know in the tap rooms in the bars all of a sudden all of that alcohol consumption in the united states was happening at home and in cans and being sold to go so the aluminum manufacturers and the, the can manufacturers your ball canning and people like that uh they weren't geared up and prepared to produce you know 300 400 percent more cans in a single year mm -hmm. so all of a sudden you started noticing these stock outs and so we we ran into the we called the control room at that time. We were shut down. We couldn't operate, and we just started mapping out full six month demand charts of how much cans we were going to need to have to be ready. Uh, we bought all of our cans and got our supply chain in place so that we could start selling to go. Um, and and it, it paid off because a lot of people were scrambling almost the entire beginning of the pandemic, just trying to find vessels to sell beer in. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we got caught before all of our, our large orders of cans showed up where we literally sold out of every single can we had in stock. The local can suppliers here in Austin, Texas were stocked out. We had people coming to our door and we saw we were running out. And so we literally drove to all of the regional homebrew stores and bought all of their gr glass growlers at just ridiculous upmark prices mm -hmm. instead of being able to buy wholesale. And we basically just filled our beer at cost in them to get them out the door because we just, we wanted people to know that they could come to us when they wanted beer. And we sure. didn't want people to start thinking, Oh, nomadic's always out of containers. Oh, we don't want to go there. I mean, it was so critical to make sure that we kept our small customer base. We had really developed over the first seven months of operation before the world shut down. Um, so it's been massive. It, it's, it's been uh, a really vital skill. And as we scale and grow now, um, being able to plan out what we need and which steps to take. Uh, it's, it's been more valuable than my marketing degree. Uh, I have a double majored and, and the supply chain management seems to be the most important thing. Nice. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, you guys were both in separate cities when you guys decided to do the business here in Austin. Yeah, we were. So what prompted um, Austin to be the location for you guys to, to start your business? Um, you know, it was a mixture of things. It was a little bit of, uh, just gut feeling. Austin is fantastic. Uh, the city has the kind of people that love craft beer. 
We'd been to the city several times. We have an aunt and uncle that have lived here for about 15 or 16 years. And so we'd visited. We liked the city and the vibe and we're into live music and art. And it was just, I mean, it was a happening city. Um, past that, uh, on more of the data analytics side, I'm a very you know analytics guy. Um, I did some cross-referencing of U.S. Census Bureau data with you know, business law trends that are happening state to state. And then I referenced uh, Texas Craft Brewers Guild operates information and they collect data on numbers of breweries and this where the locations of breweries are, the barrelage produced, the amount sold in each state per year. And so by analyzing the population trends and the, the beer distribution and data trends from the Brewers Association, we we're able to start looking at our you know, we picked like 10 top cities and Austin mm -hmm. just ended up being just this amazing green light go situation where we looked at the population growth and the lack of breweries in the city at the time in comparison to, you know, sure. other major craft brewer cities with similar demographics uh, like your Boulder, Denver, Colorado, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Portland, Oregon's. It was about half the saturation at that point than all those other beer cities. And so we looked at it and went, well, we're putting our life savings into this thing. We're borrowing money from family and friends. It'd be really great if we also had some data to go, hey, we're not going to lose your yeah. money. When this isn't going to fail, we got this. And so it was a little bit of both. Very nice. Yeah. So obviously, uh, you also had mentioned that you and your brother, you know, obviously started this together and our best friends. What have, have What kind of challenges have there been starting a business with family not that not that you maybe yeah. necessarily know you know any different because it's not like you've started a bunch of businesses with other partners but have there been uh challenges in working with family and i'm sure a lot of great things too but kind of what's yeah. been the biggest takeaways you you've learned over those um, couple of years man takeaways from that well i guess first off challenges challenges are real uh you know that sibling it's funny how sibling rivalry dissipates as you move into different cities or different states and different homes. And once you're forced back together day in and day out, all those little things that kind of get <laughs> under your skin start to just drive in there and you're like, oh, um, and there's been a few moments where we've blown up at each other and, and yelled. Um, but I think that to the other side of that coin is. Um, as brothers growing up, you know, we used to get in physical fights, you know, and uh, now as adults, I, I can guarantee that we can have truthful, honest communication, um, speak our minds to the fullest and not worry that it's going to damage our relationship. Uh, we're not being intentionally mean to each other ever. But if we disagree on something, we both feel very comfortable fighting for our opinion on it. Uh, and usually one of us will start to see the other one's opinion. You know, we're not screaming at each other. We're, we're talking about the, the pros and cons of ideas and it, it can get a little heated because it should, it's something we love and we're passionate about. It's our business and our livelihood. Um, but you know, at the end of it all, you know, after the conversation has been had five minutes later, it's back to business as usual. And I think that's, that's a huge strength because I know that he's got my back and I've got his and we can disagree, but it's still gonna, it's still gonna work out. Um, that's been huge. Um, I guess that's the biggest takeaway from it all, you know, is like, it's really shown me how valuable open and honest communication is and having that difficult conversation is. Um, and I've tried to take that from, from working with him and to our employees, you know, to have a hard conversation, mm -hmm. uh, when disagreements occur, 
uh, more in, in the hopes of finding understanding. You know, you can tell when somebody's irked about something and glazing over it is never the way to go. Sure. It's, yeah, it's a very temporary solution, right? So yeah. and that's one of my, as I was say, like it's, you know, a lot of times positives are negatives and negatives are positives. Like you say, there's, there's probably maybe some uh, disagreements that wouldn't have been as big of a argument per se, if it wasn't your brother, but at the same point in time, you got them on the table versus it being just another yeah. partner where it was like, well, I don't really agree with them, but let's just go with it. And then being upset about that mm-hmm. a week, a month later that you didn't voice your opinion at that point in time. And again, sure. having grown up with those types of sibling rivalries, you understand that you can be ready to be drag out mad at that, at that person. And yeah. an hour later, it's like, you know, you're, enjoying happy hour together and time, right. to, time, time to keep moving forward. So yeah, it's definitely a unique partnership. Oh yeah. There's definitely been one of those. It was like opening weekend. It was our first day where we're trying to get everything done and we're, we're, we're getting glassware washed. We got guests starting to arrive. We're not even open. People are showing up. We're trying to get it all done. And we're literally yelling at each other, you know? And uh, yeah, like five minutes later, he came in, like, we're talking we're like, man, really stressful day, huh? Yeah. Really stressful day. I love you, man. You know, hug it out and then get back to it. Uh, <laughs> and that's what it's all about. You know, just letting it, letting it breeze by and, and keeping the uh, the business's best interest in mind. So. so you mentioned getting your, you got your space in 2019? Uh, so we opened in 2019. Okay. Uh, we signed a lease on the space actually in 2018. Okay. Um, so it took us about 10 months to build it out um, and get through permitting and get all of our licensing in place. Uh, I mean, we really had, a blank slate to work on. Uh, we got into basically a 1980s warehouse with it's, I mean, it was cinder block walls, a steel roof, no insulation, no air conditioning, very little power, very little like plumbing. Uh, everything was relatively uh, not up to code in terms of the restrooms and we had to build everything out. So um, I, honestly, for, for 10 months, uh, it seemed like it really moved along quickly. Um, and I think part of that was due to the fact that we worked alongside of our contractors and did as much work as we possibly could, uh, as long as it didn't require a trade permit, right? Sure. So the city will make sure that you have the you know specific tradesmen so that can do permitted jobs like framing out walls so they don't collapse, running plumbing, running electrical, uh, you know, installing the HVAC systems, all that stuff needs to be done by a certified pro. Um, but if you build to code, you can do other things like we built our own deck outside. We rented a paint sprayer and painted our own building. Um, you know, we, we, when all the walls were up and the drywall was done, we invited like 10 friends in. We still had the scissor lift that our contractors left on site, you know, and we just, we bought a bunch of beer, we bought a bunch of pizzas and we basically were locked inside of our brewery for about an entire day, uh, doing priming the drywall, painting all the walls and getting everything set up. And, uh, you know, those moments were really fun. It felt like something out of like a 1980s movie montage. We were all laughing and hanging out and painting walls. It was, it was fun. Um, and so with doing all that work ourselves, I think we were able to keep the ball moving. And because we were on site, um, you know, kind of holding the contractors uh, feet to the fire when stuff wasn't done or people weren't on site working, we can give them a call and go, Hey, you know, permit's done. Uh, why isn't the framing guy here? He's supposed to be here. That's the next step, you know, and we could kind of get on them 
which is important because the, the squeaky wheel really does get the grease. And sometimes you got to be a little bit of a nuisance to get the job moving. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So then, so you guys open in September or not September, but in uh, 2019. And mm -hmm. so you have about, how's that, how does that first year uh, go for you guys maybe compared to expectations or just uh, in general? Uh, you know, honestly, it went pretty close to expectations up until, uh, so obviously we launched in May, that was like the 28th of May. And then by March, 28th or something whenever it was of 2020 no. the whole the whole you know world kind of collapsed uh, up until then it was it was going really well yeah we were feeling happy about it we we're having fun parties um the community was really engaging with us and excited about us being a part of it um and you know, besides the the income drops and the, we basically treaded water for like an entire year, just paying bills. We didn't make any money. Um, it still lived up to the expectations. You know, we still got to come out with really interesting beers. We got to, you know, donate money to charities and help our community. We got to do all the things that we started this place, you know, to do. Mm -hmm. um, and the very best thing about it is it seems like as soon as the lights turned on and the regulations started getting dropped and bars were able to reopen, the community was so excited to get back into their bars and restaurants and support that it felt like we picked up where we left off, you know, and if the trend upward was going, going, well, I guess we're on reverse here, going, going, going. <laughs> and then COVID kind of curtailed us. We caught like right back up to where we would have been and we're nice. continuing to grow. Um, and so all that's really exciting. Um, we, we feel fortunate to be in Austin. That's for sure. That's very cool. I'm sure again, you guys being as proactive as you were during the times that you were closed, right? And and mm -hmm. things like, uh, you know, we're thinking ahead for the aluminum distributors and, you know, mm -hmm. going out and buying the glass growlers so you can kind of, you know, hit that moment of, hey, are we going to be one of those companies that's there for the community? Or are we, you know, going to be a company that has to potentially close the doors? Like it's mm -hmm. kind of, it's, while there are obviously a lot of small moments throughout the course of a business that affect how things are going to go, last year was obviously a very was a very big moment for for most businesses to kind of yeah. see how things were were going to transpire going forward. Absolutely, it was um, it was it was a difficult time, but you know there's always a silver lining to everything. Um, you know, one of the things that we realized early was that we, people were getting stressed. Right, they were worried about finances they were concerned about you know whether their jobs were going to be stable and, and we thought about you know how awful would that be to be worried about some new global pandemic but also lost your job or having hours cut and having to deal with the financial stress which like we know uh, actually impacts the immune system and that sort of thing but uh, it was an opportunity for us where we actually went and, and we were small enough to be able to pull off this strategy that we put in place but we decided that we were going to support our staff and keep them working their full hours and not cut back hours. Uh, we, we cut our own personal salaries for several months while we were trying to figure out what we were going to do to make sure we had the money to pay these people and keep them working. Uh, we transitioned all of our bar staff from bartenders into uh, back of house production where they were doing canning runs for us. They were doing bottling for us. We were we were still selling to go and operating to go. We we implemented different programs for collecting and sorting uh, reused can toppers and and for like an environmental initiative. But basically, the goal was 
keep our people working and let them know that like their job was secure and that like we were going to eat last in that situation. So if there wasn't going to be enough money, it was going to be coming out of our pockets and not theirs. And what we gained from that is like our team is so incredibly uh, engaged with us because they know we care about them. Um, mm-hmm. And like our all of our employees from that time, nobody quit. Nobody has left since. Um, and we're like pretty excited. Our very first bartender, Heather, who is like our, one of our first employees, she was awesome. Uh, recently we promoted her to taproom manager. She's doing such a great job and, um, it's just fun. You know, it's cool to have people's back. Um, when the chips are down, that's really when you need to have their back. And we were able to do that. Um, and then on like the beer side, because volumes slowed down, you know, demand slowed during that time. Um, we were able to produce a series of lagers, which we previously weren't able to do. Uh, a standard beer, like an ale or an IPA, only takes about two weeks uh, to make, whereas a lager makes about four weeks. Has um, made in about four weeks. And so we, we saw ourselves with extra capacity and we were like, well, wouldn't it be fun if we released our first series of lagers because our volume is low? Let's create something we weren't able to create before because we couldn't do it due to production constraints because we were so small and new and our system was tiny. We went, well, this will be fun for our customers who stuck with us. They've never yeah. seen us do this. Let's do that. And so our first our first uh, lager was a, was a Prohibition-style Pilsner. Uh, we called it Silver Lining as a result of, you know, mm-hmm. hey, the chips are down, things are bad, but like this cloud's got silver lining. We're coming out with lagers. Let's enjoy a little bit of this together. And so... Uh, I think as long as you keep those attitudes in place, man, you can't lose. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Like I say, it's, yeah. uh, it's always, you know, I mean, there are, pl- there are definitely companies who don't support their employees, even when things are going well, but that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's when it's easy to be supportive. And so to be able to like mm-hmm. say, have their back during the tough times is awesome. And, and it's obviously shown it's, it's worth in the fact that you guys haven't had the turnover, which is. Uh, which is obviously rare in, in, in a service industry as well, too. So it's yeah. um, invaluable because they say trying, you know, the people that you're now able to train in some backroom stuff or get them more educated on the beer. Um, so when they're talking to clients and customers, they can um, be educated on that. Like that's not something yeah. you can just pull any server off the street and have them have that figured out on day one by any stretch. No, absolutely not. You know, and I think that knowledge, like retaining that knowledge base is so critical. Um, you know, it's the number of things that don't get documented that are like tribal knowledge inside of organizations. You start getting that turnover and you lose all that. Uh, you lose that culture. And especially in a, a brewery situation where we're like we have a lot of regulars, right? Our community, people come in where their neighborhood spot to go get a drink. They like seeing the same faces. You know, they like mm-hmm. when they come on in and someone's like, hey, you know, Steve, how you doing? Like, you know, good to see you, man. Can I get you a peak season? You know, and then we were immediately pouring their beer before they even get to the bar top. And yeah, that's, that's fun for us. That's kind of why we, we do what we do is like, we wanted to be this community gathering place. And you can't be that if you're just doing it at face value. Right. So it means, you know, supporting your staff, supporting your community, supporting your, your customers and, and making sure everyone's having a good time. Um, and thankfully it's all still there. So it's good. Very awesome. Yeah. What aside from COVID specifically, like what other big cha- what's what's the other what's been one or two other big challenges that um, being, uh, like, becoming an entrepreneur you've had to deal with? Obviously, COVID's going to be the one and stuff. So yeah, you got to kind of uh, take that one off the table. But 
you know, that maybe, maybe you thought might be a challenge going into being an entrepreneur. Maybe you didn't, but yeah. you know, things that have kind of been uh, a challenge that hmm. you've had to overcome. Um, I think one of the biggest ones, um, it was just more of a realization uh, recently is how important it is to disseminate information in the correct ways amongst your teams and your staff. Uh, I think entrepreneurs and people who own their own businesses, right? They're so excited and they're so passionate about it. And the thing is like, I think an entrepreneur has the ability to deal with a vast amount of uncertainty. You know, we're comfortable jumping in head first, a calculated risk. You know, we check the pool before we jump in, make sure it's deep enough, but then we go for it. Right. And I think a, a lot of people are, are more risk averse and a little concerned about when things don't go according to plan. Um, and so part of that was realizing that, like, I don't need to communicate and let people know every single idea I have. It's better to hold back, put the idea into place, make sure it's well thought out and then communicate its value to the team, um, you know, in, in, a, in a structured, organized way when it's fully ready to be put in place. Uh, because it's very easy to go, oh, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be so great. And then run the financials on it, find out it's not a very good idea from a business sense and then pull it off the table. And then it creates mistrust with your staff, right? They go, well, I, I thought we were going to launch a food truck. Why don't we have a food truck? It's like, oh, actually it was a terrible idea. Never mind. They're going to look at you like you're a crazy guy. Uh, so I think follow through is key. Uh, and that was something that was hard for us because we're such I'm like an energetic guy. I sure. Like you're like, like, Hey, let's, this is, it sounds like a great gonna idea. Be so like, awesome. Yeah. And you want to, and you want to share like, right. Like you think it's a great idea. So you want to share that. Yeah. Right, that what seems like a great idea and something that's going to be good for the the company with everyone else. Yeah. But like you need to do your vetting and you and your brother, obviously, you know, need to do the, the business vetting and, and figure exactly. that all out to see, is this really something that can get past the, uh, whatever those, the those idea stage. And, yeah. And letting people, you know, letting people know that. And I think it, it's important, like follow through is the biggest thing. Cause like everyone has to trust you and know that you're guiding the ship well. And no one wants a, a captain at the helm that's willy nilly going, woo, woo. You know, so I think you do have to steer the ship uh, a little, a little straighter. And uh, that's something that, that we work on, something that I work on being somebody with like a lot of energy uh, and a lot of ideas. Uh, that was a tough one. Um, I think one of the, one of the bigger challenges as well is, um, you know, access to capital is something that's really, really interesting and challenging for um, someone in our position. So, you know, we're a small business. We wanted to retain the decision-making rights for our business and do things without having to go to a board of stakeholders, you know, people who had decision-making authority over how we conducted our business. Uh, you know, we wanted to be able to do charitable events and donations without getting hassled or produce a beer that made no monetary you know, sense whatsoever, but was just so damn cool we had to produce it. Um, and, and we didn't want to have to continue to go back to people asking for approval. Part of the reason for this doing this business is we wanted to be creatively set free to do what we want. Um, coming into that with that mentality... Uh, means that access to capital is was was a big challenge for us, and we did have to bootstrap a lot of what we did. Uh, so you know, our equipment, a lot of it is you know repurposed used tanks. We have stuff from West Texas that's old dairy equipment that we've repurposed into brewing setups through the additions of different valves and temperature probes and stuff that we install. Um, you know, we we made a lot of our own furniture in the back and. 
you know, in the tap room, we salvage stuff from Facebook free marketplace in order to build tables and do stuff. The problem with all that is it's maybe not all a hundred percent what we needed, but it's what we could afford. Sure. Um, and what happens there is I think that you end up with uh, the need to then quickly, as you start getting money upgrade and upgrade these products, which, which, you know, cause you want to meet the customer's need. Um, and that puts you in, in an interesting place. Um, because cash is something that's hard to come by. Um, whereas if I think if we would have started off as a larger brewery with a bunch more funding, um, we could have greater amenities for our staff. Um, but you, the trade-off would have been, you know, losing some of that decision-making power and having more of a company culture based on financial performance instead of doing what's right uh, for, for our team and our community. Um, so there's definitely trade-offs to it, but we do see as a small upstart business with a very small team. I mean, it's me and my brother and, uh, you know, one production person, a taproom manager and four bartenders. Right. So we're, we're a tiny, tiny, tiny team. And what we're seeing now, because Austin is such an amazing market, is we're seeing huge amounts of investment from people from other states, uh, large established restaurant groups getting into the brewery space as the knowledge is being more widely disseminated because the craft beer communities has grown. There's a lot of people who can now just go and buy the very best brewer from some uh, like amazing brewery put a bunch of money into a brewery, hire a bunch of consultants and immediately have greater amenities than someone like ourselves who's truly starting at the bottom. Um, and so we do have to get very creative and scrappy to deal with the new entrants to the market that are coming in with such a huge backing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll start a brewery that, that costs 40 times what we, we spent to start ours. And we know this for a fact, there's several out there that are doing this. And they they're eating some of the share of of the brewery pie for some of our you know smaller true regional craft breweries, um, and, but you know the good news is, on the flip side of that, not to get too long winded, um, is I think the craft beer consumer is very wise to what is like true actual sure. craft, uh, you know, true local business, and some of that stuff does those large ones feel a little manufactured uh, in 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 stale, and I think that there's something that like small breweries have as uh, to be able to be nimble and shift around and, and you know, meet the customer's need quicker. Uh, so there's positives and negatives of both, but that's one of those things that, you know, being funded for what you're trying to accomplish, I think is super critical um, and something that, you know, moving forward, if when we launch a big facility, we'll probably need a little bit more money to get that one going. Yeah. It's hard. The, the larger you try to get as a company, the harder it is to bootstrap that. Yeah. Um, or, or just the more time it takes at that point. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's part of it is I think as a new entrepreneur, the, uh, the inkling I think to when we started was we have to do it all ourselves because mm-hmm. we don't have access to resources going past. Now we are starting to have some resources at our disposal and it's very hard to relinquish control uh mm-hmm. of of tasks right and understanding that you know even if someone does it 90 percent the way you wanted it's still better than you having to go do it yourself because at a certain point you got to start offloading tasks so you can you know elevate to kind of a higher decision making space uh to continue to provide opportunity for your teams continue to grow your business um and those are those are all really challenging things to do because it's your baby and you want to yeah hold everything tight and make sure it's perfect. And uh, but you got to trust in your people that you've trained them well and that they're, they're more than capable. And sometimes 
much more capable than even yourself as a founder sure. uh, to perform the tasks. No, yeah. Well, so, I mean, there's kind of two parts of that, right? They're, they're like you talk about the delegation part, which I think yeah. is challenging for most entrepreneurs because, you know, you get into it because you enjoy doing the thing or, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have that level of perfectionism, nothing's perfect ever, but your idea of how it should be done. And so to l- relinquish that control, but if you really want to grow, like you can't become a hundred million dollar company with you doing everything all the time type of thing. No, so you have, exactly. you, you have, you have to give some of that control. Then there's also the, like you mentioned the financial control and that gets a little bit trickier because it's also easier to grow with some outside capital. But at that point, if you start to relinquish decision-making control, that can mm-hmm. be a little bit trickier um, decision to make as an entrepreneur, like how much of that control do you want to relinquish just for just for growth right like would you really rather be five times bigger than you are now but only have you know a minority stake in your company versus you know owning that outright kind of thing so right yeah and then you know then i think the decision really comes down to what are the parts of your job that you enjoy the most you Mm -hmm. know and some of it may not be the best use for your your time if you're solely based on your your decision making is you want as much money as possible but like if your decision is well i started this business because yeah i would like to make some money but also i'd like to do the things that i enjoy which is kind of more the way that i lean then part of it is finding ways to offload the tasks you absolutely can't can't stand or you loathe every single day you know and, and choosing the tasks that you really love so like my brother will always be our head of production, our recipe creator for the brewery, but he doesn't want to be batching out the same recipe beer day after day after day. Yeah. And a lot of brewing is that it's a factory. Um, and same here. It's like I, you know, I'm, I'm scheduling and I'm ordering inventory and I'm doing our accounting and invoicing and all that stuff. But what I really like to do is focus on and look at the guests and go, how could they have a better experience here? You know, could we improve seating in this way? Could we host this really great party? Um, you know, and then on past that, it's like I do all of our art. I do all of our graphic design and taproom design. And really, like, I like to be a dreamer. Like, I like to build the idea, put some processes in place. And then I'd like to delegate away all the things that I, you know, I don't want to do myself so I can focus on the things that I think I add value uh, to in the best way, whether it's, you know, more on the creative side and the art side. Um, and I think if you focus on that, then it makes it a little easier to let go of some stuff and go, eh, at least they're doing it. It's not me, you know? <laughs> no, it makes it, a, it makes it way easier to, to do your job if you yeah. enjoy the tasks in it. Right. Cause the, right. the, 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 you know, especially early on, I found that like the mm-hmm. kind of fun thing is I get to do everything. Cause you know, Hey, you know, it's, it's exciting a little bit, but it does, there are definitely tasks that become laborious. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in short order. And so again, getting those one, there are a lot of times tasks that aren't really your highest and best use of time and also, and may not be your best use of talent either. Yeah. And so then to take those off your plate, plus then get relieve you to do stuff that you enjoy a lot more is, is usually going to be a win-win for most small businesses. Yeah. What What's your, uh, what's your favorite thing to do as, as like your own boss? Like what's your, What's your favorite? So, task? I mean, I do. I kind of go back and forth a little bit. I'm I, so I've got two degrees, like you do as well. So I have a marketing and finance degree, and so I, okay. I do like the finance side of stuff. Um, it's, but and so I do like some of those kind of things. But to like be in it all day long is not something that I enjoy. Like having to do um, 
the, that side of it, but also like just the, like I enjoy meeting people, but like when it, if it's the lead generation kind of stuff, that's where it gets more, um, more frustrating to like have to try to talk to someone in order to generate business, to talk to people, to like get to meet them and find out how you can help them and stuff. So it's a yeah. kind of a fine, it's kind of a fine line there. Uh, but yeah, just, uh, again, that, and also again, re realizing that there's some tasks that like, okay, I feel like I can knock this out really quick, but that's not the best use of my time. Like you can pay someone, you know, $15 right. an hour to do that. And you should be doing stuff that's more high, high value for your company. Yeah. That's, so. uh, that's what they say. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's sometimes it's so, it's so hard and sometimes it's so easy to get locked into something that doesn't yeah. really matter, you know? Yeah. Like I'll be walking outside and I'm like, oh, I should pick up some of this trash that blew in onto the yard and I'm picking up trash. I'm like, I got a bunch of people hanging out inside, you know, yeah. probably on their phones when it's slow, just at the bar. I'm like, I probably could just ask them. Yes. Uh, they, they probably wouldn't care. They probably wouldn't care, you know, but at the same time, I think it was like Mark Cuban or somebody who's famous for like walking around his stadium and picking mm -hmm. up trash. And his mentality was, you know, it's also important, I think, to, to, be in so front do, of your team and yeah. have them see that no job is too small. You yeah. know, like when I mm -hmm. help the the bartenders close sometimes, uh, you know, just to kind of hear how things are going and wrap up at the end of the night with them. It's like, I'll be the first one to grab the, you know, the toilet scrub brush and clean the bathrooms or do something, the job that everyone hates to do at the end of the sure. night. Uh, because I think it's important for people to know, like, no, no job is too small and no job is unimportant. Yep. Um, and I kind of, I, I kind of pitched this idea of, uh, it's a, it's a Japanese kind of, um, philosophy of having like every job that's worth doing is worth doing well. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I, we kind of try and live that here. It's like, everything can support the greater good of like making this the best experience for our guests as possible. Nice. So. Yeah, no, it's def definitely the case. And in, in a lot of those types of moments too, Again, not that you're stuck in a corner office per se, like in a in a large company, but like yeah, those those types of moments with your employees probably end up being a lot of the more beneficial ones than hey, we just need to have a team meeting on Saturday morning before we open, right? Like right, but those are those are fine and they're not necessary from time to time. But you find out a lot more when you're closing down the bar with somebody and you guys just start to talk about life and yeah, how, how the day was and those kind of things. Yeah, you wrap it up and and get to know people on like a little bit better level where it's not just a, you know, they're sitting in a meeting, a one on one with their boss, you know, they, you know, everyone's guards down, you're kind of talking as equals. And I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Oh. Yeah, those, are, so, those are good moments. For sure. Uh, what would be kind of a left field question here? What would be either like your favorite Austin restaurant or Ooh. restaurant that you're real just kind of, um, been excited about lately you know maybe, again i'm sure that this maybe it changes from time to time but like what's uh what's kind of a, a go-to place mm. for you uh when you have to have some food with the beer okay okay this is a tough one this is a this is a tough this, one i'm trying to think sure. of my go-to's um i got like a, a few situations so i got yeah. one that i absolutely love and it's kind of like my my secret taco shop okay. that is so good um it's card, called Sabor Al Tapatio, mm -hmm. and it is this little tiny truck that's on like South Congress, like south of, of William Cannon, I think, or maybe it's William Cannon in South Congress. Uh, they make this fried taco that's like a fried shell with a soft shell inside, and they do barbacoa special taco with like 
uh, sauteed peppers and onions in it and some cotilla cheese. And it is the best. Um, hands down, easy eat. If I'm passing by that food truck and it's lunchtime, I'm stopping oh. without a doubt. And I'd love to see those guys get recognition because they make such a good taco and nobody talks about them. So I think those guys are awesome. Love that spot. Um, my day-to-day go-to, man, I go to, honestly, <laughs> I go to Pint House a lot. I get their pizza all the time. I love their beer. They're they're a good crew too. We know a lot of the guys there. And so, sure. uh, and it's, it's kind of dangerous because really close to my house. And I think that's part of it. It's like <laughs> I can hop on my bike with my girlfriend and we bike on over and eat some pizza and have a couple beers. It's not a bad way to go. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. So what's kind of, uh, what, uh, what does the future look like? for uh, nomadic beer works. Yeah, um, the future, man, the future is an exciting thing around here right now. Uh, we're really pumped up. Um, in addition to doing some production increases uh, right now, which is gonna allow us to finally start doing some distribution in the city. Um, Cause I don't know if I touched on it. We don't actually really do any distribution. We do, basically 99% of our volume straight out of the pub, pint by pint. Um, And this first location was really a proof of concept for our beers and our service and what we do. Um, And it's been going really well and the beers are really great. And so we've had a lot of places starting to reach out to us and go, hey, we'd love to carry your beer at our bar, at our restaurant. So I got this big spreadsheet of all these bars that have reached out to me in the last year. And I'm going to start giving them shouts and calling them up and letting them know that we're going to start distributing, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, We plan to self-distribute. So nice new delivery van. We'll say goodbye to the 2002 town and country that we've been (laughs) hauling the random delivery in and get something nice to drive and showcase our product. Um, So that's going to be cool. And then uh, we're working on a really fun concept right now that is going to be an extension of of what we do here at Nomadic that is going to be a beer garden that's hosted on two acres of land. Uh, And it's going to be more of our daytime party spot event space with live music and games and expanded food menu and some barbecue um, and a few other things. And uh, currently we can get everything put together in the right timeline it should be launching uh early spring of next year so that'll be that'll be really fun uh but we've got to keep it under wraps yet we can't say exactly where it is or what it's going to be called but that is it's going to be a nomadic project and uh i think it's going to be really fun for our guests that you know want to go somewhere nice and have our beer on a really enjoyable you know springtime or early fall day um and right now we we have a pretty small patio so people have to sit inside a lot of times even when they don't want to um and man that's that's going to be really cool we're looking forward to that that'll be awesome yeah uh for those people um that you know again obviously if you want some nomadic beer you're gonna have to kind of check out the location there where you guys currently where you guys currently located uh we're it's we're here in south austin um woodbury drive and uh basically at the corner of ben white and south congress so we're actually located up the little hill uh where the water tower is near the penfield plaza by saint ed's university and cosmic coffee and those places nice and then uh for people wanting to kind of keep up to date uh on you guys what's the best kind of way to to do that uh, definitely Instagram. That seems to be the channel that we use the most. Uh, and that's everything from beer updates to parties and events and special food item releases from our, our pub restaurants. 
all that can be found there. Um, and then really anywhere on social media, um, you know, whether it's an email subscription through our website, uh, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, I know TikTok. <laughs> it's, it's the next, it's the next it's, thing. It's the next thing. We got to get a little bit better at it, but we're starting. So it's there. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. So it's a uh, nomadic beer works on all the different socials. Uh, That's it. And then nomadicbeerworks.com. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And, well, uh, I... oh, go ahead. Oh no, you're good. You're good. I was just going to make a joke. Don't go nomadic beers because there's a uh, nomadic beers oh. is a, a nice little pub out of UK that we regularly uh, get tagged. <laughs> and uh, one of these days we're going to meet those guys and do a collaboration. There with you them. go. But there you in go. the meantime, nomadic beer works. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, Daniel, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to chat with me today. And it sounds like you guys have some awesome stuff going on down yeah. there and, and coming, coming forward too. Thanks, Troy. Yeah, I really appreciate it, man. It's been a lot of fun. I always love to dig in on the, the businessy side of things. And, uh, you know, thanks for sharing your opinion on some of the things you've gone through as well. Appreciate it. You guys, everyone have a wonderful day.